Yes. Councilwoman Sandoval? Yes. But I, 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 I am one voting member on this, but I wanted to pose that question. There is the ability to have the conversation in committee next Tuesday, so it would only be a one week uh, delay, so then we could debate them thoroughly so that I would hope, however it comes out of committee, we wouldn't have to have that debate on the council floor. So I will, I wanted to put that out briefly. If voting members feel strongly one way or the other, I just wanted to say that. Councilwoman Sandoval. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I just want to ask the team, they put together a very diligent time frame um, that has a lot of moving parts. So just wanted to ask them based on the um, posting requirements and everything else, if this one week delay would impact this policy. And for the record, I don't have multiple amendments. I just have one. Yes, yes, you have. <laughs> I apologize. I was referring to Councilman Sadebach. I see Annalise is making the round. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No problem. What was the question? So <laughs> if we did delay to next Tuesday, which is the 26th, does that push back the public hearing date that we have held, the posting requirements that we have, all of the nuanced impact dates that we have um, for developers that we've been giving them about, about uh, over a year with information to get these site development plans through concept and through the queue. So just wanna, because I, this is too important to have a mandate for affordable housing throughout Denver the Independent Audit Committee was established by charter and receives audit reports and other information from the Denver Audit Office. The committee strives to bring greater clarity, transparency, and accountability to Denver's city government and its residents. It is also responsible for commissioning an annual audit of the city's comprehensive annual financial report. This committee is chaired by Auditor Timothy M. O'Brien. Thursday, April 21st, 2022 meeting of the Independent Audit Committee. Uh, first item is really to call the roll. Edie, would you be kind enough to take the roll? Sure. Thank you. Jack Blumenthal? Here. Florine Knapp? Here. Leslie Mitchell? Here. Rudy Payan? Here. Charles Scheib? Here. Tim O'Brien? Here. And Edward Schultz is out. Uh, Mr. Schultz is excused. Thank you very much. We do have a quorum. Uh, next item is to approve the minutes from March 17th. Is there a motion to approve the so minutes? Moved. Thank you. Second. Seconded properly <coughs> before us. Any discussion? All in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Any opposed? <coughs> All right, the minutes are approved. Uh, first item we have is a briefing on a <coughs> follow-up report for Denver International Airport an audit that we performed of uh, the capital assets at the airport. Um, I'm gonna ask Dawn to introduce the audit staff and I'm not sure who is gonna be in charge from the airport here. I see a lot of you here, but uh, <laughs> I'll ask the airport to introduce their staff and then we can get into the briefing. So 
Dawn, do you have, want to start? Uh, yes, thank you, Auditor O'Brien. Good morning, Audit Committee members and guests. Um, I'm Dawn Wiseman. I was the director on the engagement. Um, I'm going to hand it over to Sonia. I think she's got something prepared for an introduction and background for you. So I will pass it on over to Sonia. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. So as the auditor mentioned, this is the airport capital assets follow-up presentation. And the original audit was issued in December of 2020. So my team is myself, Sonia Montano is the audit manager, and then senior auditors, June Samadhi and Dave Hancock. So I will start on the background of the highlights page. Sonia, before you get started, yep. could I ask the airport to introduce the people here? And, and if one of you has some opening comments, we'd be happy to hear that. Uh, good morning, uh, Mike Beal. I'm the SVP of uh, accounting at the airport, um, and we want to thank the audit team and the uh, audit committee for uh, the follow-up on this audit and all the initial recommendations you made and all the uh, continued recommendations that come from this audit. So thank you guys for your time, and uh, we appreciate it. Good morning, everyone. My name is Scott Morrissey. I'm the Senior Vice President for Sustainability at the airport. Sylvester Lavender, Chief Financial Officer. Mark Nagel, Senior Director of Airport Operations. Good morning, Dave Laporte, Senior Vice President of Airport Operations. Good morning, Senior Vi Kyle Lester, Senior Vice President of Maintenance. All right, good morning. Okay. Thank you all for joining us today and also all your cooperation throughout the original audit and then now during the follow-up too. So on the highlights page, we talk about uh, the background, which states that the airport's capital assets consist of tangible assets, which include buildings, roadways, taxiway and runway improvements, and infrastructure and land, and then as well as intangible assets such as software. Effective asset management includes methods to determine which assets to acquire or create and how to operate and maintain them. The airport had $4.2 billion in net assets net capital assets as of December 31st, 2019. And in 2020, the amount increased up to 4.8 billion. Yeah. Sorry. The audit objectives of the, and the scope of the audit were to assess whether the airport's asset management program properly tracks and records capital assets and that information in all systems of record is complete and accurate and also to assess whether the airport's asset management program ensures the condition of capital assets is properly maintained through preventive maintenance so it can effectively budget for future costs. So a few of the highlights from the original report include that the airport's internal controls needed improvement to ensure capital assets are properly tracked and recorded and that information and systems is complete and accurate. This finding resulted in 13 recommendations. In addition, the airport lacked a comprehensive preventive maintenance program to ensure all assets are maintained and that it can effectively budget for future costs. And this finding resulted in six recommendations. So now I will pause for any comments from the airport on that original audit and some of those highlights. Thank you guys so much for the uh, follow-up presentation on this. Um, you know, we appreciate a lot of the comments that you had on the original audit, and I, 
um, we've taken a lot of those into consideration and continue to work forward in the future on those things. So thank you. Thank you. So now I'll go ahead and turn it over to June and she's going to start going through the status of those recommendations. Thank you. June, before you start, um, I wanted to mention to the audit committee that we will be going through those recommendations that were implemented, correct? Mm -hmm. And then we'll go through the partially and the not implemented. Um, but they're not presented in that form. I mean, they're presented in the serial fashion that the, the report had them. And we've talked about it as we prepared for this meeting of really changing that in the future. So we will do, you know, as I said, we'll go through those implemented. Next time you see a follow-up report, all the implemented ones will be together. They will not be in the numerical fashion as they were in the audit report. So you'll have to skip around a little bit with us, and um, I'll ask your indulgence on that. Thank you. June, go for it. Thank, Thank you. you. Auditor, if I may, I'd like to introduce uh, Steve Jake with our, our uh, chief operating officer at the airport as well. He just joined us. Thank you, sir. For Good morning. Today. Good morning. Traffic is a little crazy up there. <laughs> <laughs> Should have been here yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 19 recommendations were proposed to the airport in December 2020, with implementation dates between March to September of 2021. As shown on the Action Sense Audit Report page and the individual recommendation pages of the follow-up report. The recommendations span the topics of policy and procedure development and updating, capital asset recording and documentation, maintenance contract monitoring, central document repositories, and asset preventive maintenance. During our follow-up, we noted that seven recommendations were fully implemented, seven were partially implemented, three were not implemented, and two were disagreed with. For our presentation, we grouped the recommendations based on the status of the recommendation, which does not match the order in the follow-up report. However, I will reference specific page numbers to make it easy to follow along. Our, our first finding from the original report was that Denver International Airport's internal controls need improvement to ensure capital assets are properly tracked and recorded, and that information and systems is complete and accurate. Through our follow-up efforts for finding one, we found six recommendations were fully implemented, four were partially implemented, one was not implemented, and the airport disagreed with two of the recommendations for finding one. I will present the full, fully implemented recommendations and their impact, then pause for questions and comments before moving on to discuss the recommendations that were not fully implemented and their remaining risks. As stated on page one of the follow-up report, we found the airport fully implemented recommendation 1.1 by developing and implementing updated policies and procedures to include necessary details related to the transfer of property form, surplus proceed activities, and virtual tags. We also found the airport fully implemented recommendation 1.2 as shown on pages one and two of the follow-up report. The airport staff developed a new surplus property form to replace the previous transfer property form in December of 2021. The last time the airport disposed of an asset was October of 2021. So we could not verify the use of the form, but the updated form aligned with our recommendation. The airport also fully implemented recommendation 1.3 as shown on pages two and three of the follow-up report. 
Airport staff ensured all supporting asset disposal documentation was attached for each asset in the city's financial system workday. In addition, the airport also fully implemented recommendation 1.6, as shown on page six of the follow-up report. Processes for validating assets reported as lost were improved, and the airport implemented a tracking spreadsheet to ensure proper investigations are done and police reports are filed. As shown on page nine of the follow-up report, the airport also fully implemented recommendation 1.8. The airport developed and implemented a central contract monitoring tool with the airport's computerized maintenance management system, Maximo, to ensure contractors are meeting their required deliverables. Lastly, recommendation 1.9, as shown on page 10 of the follow-up report, has been fully implemented. The Operations and Maintenance Contract Administration Division has collaborated with teams across the airport and used resource documents to improve the monitoring of contract penalties. With the implementation of these recommendations, the airport should have increased knowledge sharing, central steps to complete tasks through revised policies and procedures. The new surplus property form will help airports will help the airport effectively dispose of assets and the improved recording of asset disposals will enhance the validation process for assets reported as lost. In addition, the airport made contractor performance data available through the centralized contract monitoring tool and will increase collaboration and communication efforts to help enforce contract terms. I will now pause to allow questions or comments from the audit committee or airport representatives. Any questions from the committee? Comments from the airport. Uh, I guess I would like to mention. I think you know there's an enormous number of assets out at the airport. It's something that's constantly changing. I mean, I know you're always have some work in process, but uh, it's got to be a very difficult task. And I appreciate the efforts that uh, you're going through to follow up on the recommendations that we've made. So thank you, uh, June. You want to continue? Four of the 13 recommendations for finding one were partially implemented. On page five of the follow-up report, recommendation 1.5 has been partially implemented. While the process for improving asset locations and workday was improved and currently in use for new assets registered, all existing asset locations have not yet been updated. Management plans to add existing asset locations during the airport's annual inventory process beginning in 2022. Recommendation 1.10, as shown on page 11 of the follow-up report, was partially implemented. While the policy and procedure for contract monitoring was updated, the process is not detailed on what contract administrators need to do to use Maximo's contract monitoring function. Additionally, recommendation 1.11 was partially implemented. As shown on pages 12 and 13 of the follow-up report, Although most overdue penalties were collected, the part that was not collected was due to a policy that was insufficiently documented and approved by airport management. Further, recommendation 1.13 was partially implemented. We found the airport has not yet implemented trainings related to asset transfers and disposals for airport employees. As shown on pages six through nine of the follow-up report, the airport did not implement recommendation 1.7, as there had been insufficient monitoring of contract penalties for the train and conveyance maintenance contracts. In addition, the airport had disagreed with two recommendations from the original audit report. 
Recommendation 1.4 calls for the airport to improve consistency of capital asset data between information systems, which can be found on pages three through five of the follow-up report. Recommendation 1.12 calls for the airport to improve communication among airport divisions, including maintenance, sustainability, and finance, which can be found on pages 13 and 14 of the follow-up report. I will discuss the risks remaining for all recommendations not fully implemented before pausing for questions and comments related to finding one. With the partial implementation of recommendation 1.5, as shown on page five of the follow-up report, until the airport can update the locations of its full inventory of assets, the airport will continue to have missing data and inconsistencies that could impact decision-making. In addition, with the insufficient monitoring of the maintenance contracts in Recommendation 1.7, as shown on pages 6 through 9 of the follow-up report, the airport risks missing contract penalties, which is money the airport could use to continue serving the traveling public. Without the detail on how to use Maximo and the contract monitoring policy and procedure from Recommendation 1.10, as shown on page 11 of the follow-up report, Managers cannot verify that, that employees are implementing the same procedures with the use of the system. In addition, without documenting the policy change to enforce single station door penalties from Recommendation 1.11, as shown on page 12 of the follow-up report, the airport will continue to not collect all contractual penalties as found in the original audit. Failing to enforce contract terms consistently and documenting changes to enforcement can lead to loss of airport funds and poor service to the traveling public. Lastly, with the partial implementation of Recommendation 1.13, as shown on page 14 of the follow-up report, these risks associated with the lack of employee awareness related to capital asset activities, which could affect accuracy and completeness of information and systems. I will now pause to allow for questions and comments from the audit committee and airport representatives. Questions from the committee? This is addressed to the airport, uh, to the airport official. Uh, in terms of your inventory count, I know that it's, you're supposed to, hopefully within a five year period of time, you will have a complete uh, listing of all the assets and it's a continuing job from there, there on. My question would be is, uh, in your mind, how difficult, because you've got 23,000 items uh, in terms of assets that you have to capitalize, what is the biggest challenge in terms of getting a complete inventory of all those, of the 23,000 assets that you're currently facing right now? And I'll take that one. Um, so what we do on our inventory process is we actually uh, do an inventory of the capital assets themselves, which may be different from the assets that are maintained in Maximo, which is gonna be more granular level assets. So our process is, because of the large number of capital assets that we have there is we do it on a rotating basis. The larger assets we do on a, a consistent basis over the five year period. Um, for a much smaller equipment base, we rotate those out every few years. And we've worked with the um, city controller's office to make sure we follow the FARs on that as well. Um, the FAR does require it to be done annually, but we did uh, obtain a waiver from the controller's office just because of the sheer volume of assets we have. So we do rotate those out throughout the uh, terms of those um, over a five-year period and three-year period. Okay, thank you, Mr. Bill. Uh, Mike, let me ask you this. 
you talk about the large assets and the small, smaller stuff. Can, can you give us an estimate when what percentage of the, the dollars involve the smaller assets as a percentage of all the assets? So that we have an idea of right. the uh, proportions. And, and, and I know it, it's a guess. Yeah. <laughs> no. and, and thank you for the question. No, we've, what we've taken the approach is instead of doing it based on a dollar amount, we do a percentage of the overall um, amount, uh, overall number of volumes. So if it's equipment, we'll take a 20% this year, and then we'll go 20% the next year and 20% the next year. So that way we're constantly rotating them out. That way the sampling of it is going to be consistent across the board, not just based on strictly dollar amounts. Jack, that appears that wouldn't be the way you'd do it, is that? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, um, <clears throat> what, what's the value of the assets, yeah. roughly, that you have out there? Just cost-wise, um, the gross amount's probably about $6 billion. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and so the question becomes, you know, you want to make sure you're paying attention to what counts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's what's known as the old 80-20 rule where you get, you know, 80% of it covered with 20% of the work. It's really dollars that get spent. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, that's the reason I was a little puzzled by that approach, Mike. And we can take a look at that and see if we want to address how we want to uh, do it going forward. The majority of those costs are going to be really related to lar very large capital assets like infrastructure assets, uh, buildings, things like that, that are fairly easy to identify uh, in comparison to uh, individual pieces of equipment, which are usually a lot lower dollar threshold. Yeah, I would think that uh, under your 80-20 rule, if you looked at the runways, you probably covered 80% of the costs, right? Correct. I mean, yeah, so then when you separate the rest out, I guess it, it still gets down, yeah. Yeah, and the 20% piece only applies to more of equipment-based and less on the larger assets. Larger assets we do on a more frequent basis. No, I, I understand. And what you're saying, that smaller assets may have less value but they can walk more easily. Right. So, yep. than a runway? Yeah, <laughs> please. Good morning, everyone. I, I, to the point that Auditor O'Brien made about all of the construction that's happening and the challenge associated with making sure that you're balancing intake of those new assets associated with construction projects with the legacy assets that we had. I did want to point out the fact that over the course of the last several years, the airports developed a new electronic onboarding process for new assets coming in through our expansion projects, the Great Hall project, any of our um, construction projects that uses one of our existing tools called BIM 360 to allow that at the time that that asset is being handed over to the airport, our uh, quality assurance inspectors are going out, ensuring that all of those assets are tagged and put into the Maximo system. And so, you know, while you're, you're certainly correct that there is a great number of legacy assets that needed to be manually onboarded over the course of time, with our new assets being onboarded as part of these new projects, there is a automated system that allows that to happen <coughs> much more efficiently so that in 20 years we're not having a similar conversation. Mm -hmm. Ready? I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
in terms of tagging the assets, I did notice something in the report that <clears throat> you were having a hard time reconciling the fact that tagging the assets for maximal as well as workday. What's the status on that? Is that, especially with the new incoming assets that are coming into the airport, has that been addressed? And we still keep those completely separate from each other because the purpose of the workday um, is to capitalize the asset under GASB requirements and um, also for following the CDFAR for capital assets. Maximo is designed to capture assets in general, which can be a low dollar item that doesn't meet the capitalization threshold. So we won't track that within workday itself, but for maximum purposes, for, so we can do maintenance of the assets, um, check any kind of status of, you know, any kind of work orders that need to be done on that assets, do um, plan maintenance on it. We can track, capture that in maximum for that specific asset. But we try to keep, they have to be kept separate and do the fact that we, the whole purpose of the workday portion is to have a capital asset that we can report on for our financial statement purposes and depreciate those assets. Thank you, Mr. Hill. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, June? I would now like to turn it over to Dave to present our finding two um, results. Thank you, June. Our second finding from the original report was Denver International Airport lacks a comprehensive preventive maintenance program to ensure all assets are maintained and that it can effectively budget for future costs. You can find this beginning on page 15 of the follow-up report. Through our follow-up efforts, we found the department fully implemented one of the recommendations, partially implemented three recommendations, and did not implement two recommendations from finding two. Next, we'll present the recommendations which were fully implemented and their impact, and then pause for comments and questions before moving on to discuss the recommendations not fully implemented and the risks that remain. Afterwards, we will pause for comments and questions. As stated on pages 20 and 21 of the follow-up report, we found the airport fully implemented recommendation 2.6 by defining a central documentation repository which is Unifier, to house key asset documentation, such as warranties and ensuring necessary personnel have access. By defining the central repository, airport personnel know where to access warranty information in a central repository. By having this information easily available, helps reduce added costs to the airport for maintenance that is covered under warranty. I will now pause to allow comments or questions from the audit committee or airport representatives. Any comments, questions? Let's continue. Okay. Three of the six recommendations for finding two were partially implemented. Recommendation 2.1, which can be found on pages 15 through 17 of the follow-up report, was partially implemented because the procedure to add assets to Maximo lacks sufficient detail on what maintenance supervisors needed to look for in their review of assets added to the system. In addition, two other procedures were last updated in 2019, which was before the original audit was published. Airport staff also told us they do not have a method to determine what assets have not been added to Maximo, so they rely on walkthroughs and inspections to verify that all assets are in the system. While there are over 27,000 assets, having a method to verify that the airport's inventory is accurate 
is an important internal control. In addition, as shown on pages 18 through 20, we found that recommendations 2.4 and 2.5 are partially implemented as well because the airport is still in the process of developing its comprehensive inventory, comprehensive preventive maintenance program, and this effort will take another five years to complete. Items such as staffing, budgeting, and policy and procedure development will have to wait until the effort is complete. Next, I will discuss the one recommendation not implemented before concluding with risks remaining for all not implemented recommendations. As shown on pages 17 and 18 of the follow-up report, the department did not implement recommendations 2.2 and 2.3 because the airport is in the process of developing its comprehensive preventive maintenance program. For each asset category, the airport is developing program asset documents. This effort will take five years to complete. The airport told us they cannot move forward with staffing plans and budgeting until the preventive maintenance program is completed, and that is why we assess the recommendation as not implemented. Despite the, airport, the efforts of the airport to address all recommendations, risks remain related to the airport's preventive maintenance program. First, with recommendation 2.1 on pages 15 through 17, a lack of sufficient detail in policies and procedures can lead to inconsistent practices among maintenance supervisors when reviewing entries in Maximo. In addition, the inability to check the accuracy of Maximo for all assets can lead to having an inaccurate record of all assets and potential of missing preventive maintenance. For recommendations 2.2 and 2.3 on pages 17 and 18, without a staffing and funds needs analysis, the airport may not be able to ensure assets are properly maintained. Lastly, for recommendations 2.4 and 2.5 on pages 17 through 20, a lack of a comprehensive preventive maintenance program and documented deviations from the maintenance schedule could result in the airport inconsistently performing preventive maintenance and prematurely increasing repair and replacement costs. This concludes today's presentation. I will now pause to allow comments or questions from the audit committee or airport representatives. Any questions from the committee? Jack? Um, five years is an awful long time to develop a preventive maintenance program, <clears throat> but you've got to weigh the cost and benefit of doing that. Um, what a lot of companies, government agencies are doing nowadays, especially in the systems area, is they're using outside contractors to get things done in a year that might have lingered on. And this is particularly true, for example, of many of the large banks. So the question I've got is, have you done a cost-effectiveness study to say, how much would it cost us to hire a contractor who could get this done for you in a, let's say, a period of nine months or a year? Because it, it, it's not going to be done in three months, right? Versus what it would cost to do it over a five-year period, and what is the cost-benefit of either alternative? That's the question. So uh, on behalf of the, uh, the airport um, 
Again, my name is Steve Jakewith. I'm the Chief Operating Officer for, for Denver International Airport. First off, let me um, acknowledge and thank you all for the great work that you do. It really helps us and builds our continuous improvement. We realize we have a lot of work to do, and we realize fully that our work here is not done. Um, and not to be intended to be an excuse, I would just uh, tell you that you know, as we've gone through and coming out of the COVID crisis, where we scaled back and pulled uh, resources back significantly, coming out of COVID, our recovery was, you know, accelerated much higher than other airports. And so over the course of this last year, year and a half, the team has been busy ramping up and recovering. We've become the third largest airport in the world. Um, we do have gaps in our business. We do have gaps on our protocols and where we're trying to get to. Uh, I would tell you, during that COVID response, um, we've had difficulty in hiring spe specifically uh, maintenance personnel. It's been a really difficult environment for us to onboard and recruit. We're continually recruiting people every day. And so some of, some of what ails us is the ability and the resources to be able to get back up to speed. With all that said, I would tell you also, moving forward, we've, um, we have made uh, maintaining what we have one of our critical pillars in what we do in our strategic plan. And part of that building a uh, maintaining what we have pillar um, deals with the fact that we are in the process of revising our, our SAMP, which is our strategic asset management plan, making sure that's a, breath a breathing, living document every day and not just a piece of paper hung on a wall. Um, and we do that by continually refreshing and, and meeting with individuals. The second thing we're doing is building a more comprehensive governance strategy and working groups so that as we're dealing with strategic asset issues, we are running them into a working group and then every month we'll be meeting with the governance group made, by, made up by our CEO and all the senior leaders at the airport to ensure that we are on track and doing what we're doing. That's a lot of background to answer your specific question. And I would tell you, as we deal with the specifics, um, as we go through and learn what we're doing in terms of creating that governance and creating that structure, um, we don't anticipate this taking five years. We do have a lot of work to do. Uh, we will be working very hard at driving into getting um, our assets loaded properly into Maximo, uh, making sure that we are uh, dealing with specific uh, related issues um, on our investment strategies and making sure data is driving our decisions. We want to get to the point where we have uh, condition-based assessments um, and working on that instead of a break-fix type of report. And to your point of utilizing an 80-20 model where we can capture uh, most of the data through uh, the efforts of you know, 20% of the effort in catching 80% of the assets, I think that's real. Um, we have some asset classes that we're really strong in what we do in terms of governance and maintenance. We have a, quite a few that we need to bring up to a higher level of performance. I'm going to ask Kyle and uh, Scott if you want to sp speak to it, and then Dave Laporte and Mark Nagel oversee a lot of the conveyances and train systems. And so if you want to talk about any of the specifics. Cal, can I make a, one quick point first before you do that? Um, I just wanted to clarify one point because um, we really appreciate the audit team and the conversations we've had through this process, but um, we had a lot of conversation about how this particular 
um, finding was phrased. Um, and I, I do just want to clarify the point that I think the issue that the audit team identified, and please correct me if you disagree with this, is that um, there's a issue with the overall effectiveness of the preventive maintenance program. Um, but I do want to clarify that there are preventive maintenance um, work plans in place for the assets that are currently within the, the system. When we're talking about this longer term process associated with improving that preventive maintenance program to make it more effective, what we're really focused on is ensuring that given the condition of our assets and the fact that many of them are older, some original to the airport, that we have the right preventive maintenance um, program in place that is based both on the manufacturer's um, O&M recommendations, um, but also, again, the condition of our assets. And so, um, you know, as, as Steve mentioned, um, it certainly is a large job to do that over 20,000 plus operational assets, um, but I didn't want to leave the audit committee or any, everyone watching at home with the idea that there was no preventive maintenance going on at the airport because that's, that's not the case. But certainly agree with the, with, the, with the finding that the effectiveness of the preventive maintenance program could certainly be approved. Thank you. Yeah. All right, building off of that, I'll probably try to put a finer point on some of the specifics. Uh, we do have asset management programs, uh, preventive maintenance programs across the board on all of our assets. The question is, they haven't been looked at in many, many years since they were entered into Maximo. And so when we look at them, a lot of, a, a lot of those ass, uh, preventive maintenance programs were built off of more what I would characterize as inspections. Right? There's a difference between an inspection and, a prevent, and an, an action you would take to uh, maintain the life or extend the life of an asset. An inspection is just looking to see if it's, something's broken, it's still working. Right? There's a difference between them. So many of, the, uh, many of those uh, plans, preventive maintenance plans, were built more around inspections. And so w when we run the data, so the, the recommendation that was not implemented we could say, I would argue that it, 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 I did do analysis. We have done analysis on staffing and funding. We just recognize that it's, it's, uh, the data is not accurate. For example, when we run an analysis on how many uh, plumbers we need, the analysis comes up at, at about half of what we know is real, which points to the fact that our baseline data is incorrect. So. We are, we are performing preventive maintenance work orders. Uh, we are performing preventive maintenance work every day. We have taken a project, taken on a project that is gonna take about five years because we're trying to do it internally, the majority of it, and I'll answer your specific question about bringing, out, bringing in outside resources. We've taken on that project to kind of re-baseline all of our preventive maintenance programs. And to really do that, in the, the strategy I've taken is we're going asset by asset. So our first asset that we tackled seems fairly minor, but perimeter gates. Uh, the only, we, we picked that asset as the first one to kind of build our templates, build our process. We picked that one because one, it's a kind of a smaller asset that we could kind of set our processes on. Uh, so that, that took about nine months, unfortunately. It, it, just going through very detailed, the report uh, and the recommendations based off of, we did not, through history, the airport didn't write what I, what I call program documents, like for perimeter gates, 
we didn't write a word document that says we've looked at all the manufacturers recommendations on preventive maintenance and if we varied, we we had a variance from that recommendation we didn't write that down why the logic behind why we ver uh, made a variance from the manufacturers recommendations we didn't write a document what we did is we just loaded everything in maximo with no backup documentation no pro what i call a program document so i tasked the team to start over and go asset by asset and write that program document so anytime that we have uh, our technicians our, our our experts have information and we pull data that leads us to where we shouldn't follow manu manufacturers recommendations we write all that logic down we real rebuild rebaseline that preventive maintenance program and then load that into maximo and so so far we've completed uh the we like said the perimeter gates that was our starting point to build our templates and our process then we moved on to more complex like passenger loading bridges with multiple assets on that passenger loading bridge the structure itself the gpu units you know the ground power units the uh pcr there's many different smaller assets that are attached to that passenger loading bridge so we're in process of completing that i'd say we're about 75 80 percent done uh complete uh with that one uh we also to get to your specific point i did bring in an outside vendor to help us with our uh um, our cup our central utility plant uh to do an analysis on all the assets the chillers the boilers that are in the in that plant so they are about 80 percent 90 percent done with that analysis on the on the cup uh, once we complete those we'll move on to the plan is we're going to move on to like electrical components switch gear we're just going to keep chugging away asset by asset the issue with bringing in outside resources is not necessarily a cost issue so I haven't done a clear analysis of when it's more of a skill set and time um, we all know when you bring in outside resources you still need leadership over that that work and and right now I, I lack some of that leadership and to be able to lead some of that work and quite honestly some of the when we were going through the passenger loading bridges we realized even if we brought in an outside resource the same exact people internally are still gonna be sitting at the table the same amount of time to answer the same questions and do it so we just made it made a decision uh, on that asset to do it internally cup we needed some additional like outside expertise because we wanted to benchmark against industry standards uh, across the country um, so we brought that's where we made the decision to so it's more skill set is versus uh, cost in that decision to bring outside resources in so I could go faster but uh, we have a lot of vacancies in leadership and, ma and manager positions in in maintenance right now so I lack that ability to lead those projects if I bring in outside resources but you're still keeping the impossibility open that you might hire an outside consultant to speed up the work the inventory with the capital assets. absolutely yeah, absolutely absolutely if it, if if we see the benefit that I can go faster with absolutely okay. yeah because very frankly I'll tell you where my concern is <clears throat> we've got two or three things going on simultaneously one we have an airport that is, I believe, about 30 years old now. And, you know, in the first five or 10 years, none of this is important. You can walk around, inspect, as you say, 
and it's no big deal. And now we've, we're down that road. The second one is that uh, the airport has gotten much busier. You keep on adding things on, <clears throat> and that causes more wear and tear, <clears throat> you know, et cetera. <clears throat> the third one is that um, I don't happen to like it, but the demographics of the workforce in the United States is changing. And um, I would expect that a lot of the people in the whole maintenance area, et cetera, are uh, upper middle kinds of people. And that's when you look at, you know, what's going on in the workforce and you take a look at projections of the, 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 the birth rate having gone down, it's going to get worse as opposed to better. And that's the demographics that you're dealing with having nothing to do with the airport, which means if you, you take those three factors, it would seem to me it's more incumbent to get a handle on what your standards are going to be in order to start staffing up for the needs that you're going to have that are increasing and the increased difficulty of getting the kinds of people who you want and need to do this. And you can't really do the job you'd like to do until you have that established. And this is a problem that, you know, everybody's got and a lot of the bigger businesses seem to be doing a better job than some of the smaller ones. But that's the reason I'm raising all these questions, if I can. I totally agree with your, your, your statements, all three points. Um, we are struggling. We've, we're consistently over the past year plus running 29% vacancies in our trades positions. Certain groups are even higher than that, you know, and it kind of kind of uh, changes quarter to quarter. You know, plumbers, we were at one point we were 50% down. Um, and just really struggling to to uh, to retain employees. We are typically in a one in one out, meaning I hire somebody and then I got somebody retiring, leaving, taking a better job, uh, you know, a higher paying job in the outside industry and private industry. So uh, it is a struggle and it's a it's a major concern. Um, to address your concern that we are falling behind in maintenance, in the preventive maintenance of assets, uh, I would say right now we're running. Uh, Last year in 2021, we were running about 10%, 10.8% actually, to be specific, of deferred maintenance, things falling into backlog. But when we look at those, there's specific reasons why we're falling into specifically backlog. So it's not, it's somewhat staffing, but really the supply chain hurt us very heavily. <laughs> you know, it's falling in deferred maintenance because it's taken six months to get apart. You know, so it's things like that. Uh, more recently, we're running more, about a half percent, falling into into backlog. That's a combination of maybe the supply chain speeding up slightly, but it's also analyzing our assets and maybe pulling out some of those what would deemed inspections versus PMs. You know, making some changes, asset by asset, and improvements that we're going. But your point's well taken. Uh, Staffing is, is a, a, a challenge, and it's only going to get worse, it, it, the projections where we're at. 
on the trades positions. Yeah, and so that if, if those positions are so hard to fill, and I think we discussed this at another meeting, uh -huh. one of the questions that was raised was, are you paying enough and are you keeping up with being competitive? Um, that whole ball of wax is getting more difficult, but if you can't plan it out, you can't justify right-sizing what you're doing as one of the largest employers in the Rocky Mountain West. Agreed. Uh, yeah. We do, we, sorry. For, for yeah. staffing, I am constantly with uh, our downtown partners in, in OHR analyzing. Uh, we've made, I, I want to say, five pay, pay adjustments. We've done a, a pay equity study uh, about a year ago. We did a trades study just specific to the trades. We, and we adjusted that. We had equipment <coughs> operators that we adjusted. Uh, we, I'm constantly pushing OHR, and they're, they're a great partner with us to continually analyze where we sit compared to the market and trying to target uh, about midpoint of the salary range to the market. And we are keeping up. I know that some people, I have many employees that speak to, well, I can get, you know, I can get this job on the, you know, in private industry, especially in the trades positions, that's paying you know, 30, 40% higher, but then you're dealing with you know, private industry versus government and the security, and that's my answer to our employees. So I, I would like to make a suggestion, if I could, uh, or a request. And I recognize you know, the staffing uh, shortages that you have. I mean, we're all experiencing that. Um, but uh, in a recent briefing with Mr. Washington, he was talking about the 39 new gates that have been added and, you know, the difficulty with the pipe that broke, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I asked him to put the 39 new gates in some kind of context for me because uh, I, I just really didn't know how to stack that up against something else. And he says, well, that's like Washington National Airport. Uh, he says it's like Kansas City's airport. I mean, they might have a few more gates, but not a lot more. Um, but so my request is, would you be willing to have the audit committee come out to the airport and look at some of the things that you've done out there? And I know you've got a lot to do. I mean, the, the volume of assets are significant, but I th if you could spend, I don't know, I'd leave it up to you as to what the time period might be I think it would be valuable as, you know, we have audits of the airport often, and uh, I think it's valuable for us to, you know, have a sense as to when you're talking about, you know, the, the expansion gates at uh, Concourse B, is that we know, what, we know what it looks like, and I think it enhances our understanding and uh, the conversation, so. So, so I would uh, highly encourage us to do just that. I think anything that we can do to help educate and, and create a, uh, a better sense of purpose of where we need to go and what we need to do and the things that we can learn from you all and help build your understanding of the work that we're doing, I think that would be fantastic. So we'll take that on and we'll, we'll schedule that with you. Okay. We'll, we should work with your office, is that? Sure. Yeah, yeah please. Okay. Thank you. You bet. Um, I know we have another uh, briefing to get through. Are there any concluding remarks that the airport would like to make or... 
I think uh, you know we will definitely accept your invitation, and I think we could kind of continue this kind of conversation uh, in a less formal setting. So. So on behalf of the airport, again, we thank you all very, very much for the um, incredibly important work that you all do. Um, it is a key component of our learning. It's a key component of our continuous improvement cycles. Uh, one of our colleagues did join us uh, kind of late, stuck in traffic as well. Um, Jim Starling, who is an executive vice president and our chief infrastructure officer is here. Jim, anything you'd like to add to the group? <laughs> Not to put you on the spot, but why not? <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, from the, Scott talked about on our uh, capital program as we, uh, as we add in, you know, Great Hall uh, concourse expansion, being able to attract those assets I think is very important. So I think that's important work uh, moving forward. So um, from our standpoint, I think that's, that's important as we're talking about asset management. Great. Thank you. Thank you all. We appreciate you very much. Great. We'll be in touch. June, June and Dave. June and Dave, if you guys could grab your name plates. June and Dave, <laughs> can you guys grab your name plates? Edie, where do you want them to take them with them? Just, yeah, just take okay, or do you want them just to lay them down? Yeah, they can, or they can just put it back. To put it on the chair back there. So I'd like to welcome uh, our clerk and recorder, Paul Lopez, and his team. Uh, we have a a briefing on records management audit that we conducted. Mr. Lopez, welcome. Good morning. I'm not sure who from your office will join you, but uh, no, um, representing my office. If there's anything specific, um, I'll call them up. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Otto. You're very welcome. It's good to be back in this room. It's been quite a while. <laughs> well, we'll have you back more often if you like. <laughs> uh, Don, do you want to introduce the staff? And, uh, um, yes, yes, I would. Uh, good morning, auditor, audit committee members, and guests. Uh, my name is Don Wiseman, and I'm the director of the follow-up engagement that we're going to refund today. Uh, Caris Epstein um, is the audit manager of the original records management audit, as well as the follow-up that we're presenting to you today. Unfortunately, she's not feeling well, so she's not joining us today, so I'm going to fill in for her. It's not COVID. <laughs> it's not COVID. No, that has been contested and confirmed, so we're, we're all good. I think she just got a touch of the flu, so to keep us all safe, she's staying home today. Um, but I am joined by Carl Halverson, lead auditor on the engagement, and Heather Berger, who is our senior analytics auditor. So, um, I'd like to extend our thanks and appreciation to the clerk and recorder's office and, and the staff there for all of the assistance that they provided the team um, responding to our request. So thank you. We appreciate that very much. Um, did we want to do a, an intro for clerk and recorder before I continue? Sure. Okay. So, um. Do you want to introduce yourself? I mean, I don't think you need to be introduced, but. Uh, yeah, no, um, well, thank you, Mr. Auditor and, and Audit Committee members. I uh, really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure 
uh, to work with you and your staff to make improvements to our processes um, over the past year and a half. Um, you know, I'm, I'm especially grateful that, that you were kind enough to make time for us in your audit um, and in your audit schedule by accommodating our request for this audit. Um, a gentleman back here, I'll, I'll, I'll recognize him. Before I, I'm, I'm now in my third year as the elected clerk and recorder, and a lot of people think it's just about elections, but it's not. Um, we are the steward of over 12 million in, uh, documents. Um, and these are everything from the documents that we signed today that are copies of contracts to original copies of our charter. Um, and then documents that um, the Reverend Martin Luther King had signed. Um, documents that need a lot of protection and oversight. And um, oh, Aaron, uh, over here, um, had been um, the sole employee for a while um, uh, overseeing this and doing the, scanning these documents in. It wasn't until I had a tour with him until we saw the condition in which some of these documents were being stored. And so that was one of the reasons why it's like, man, we need some outside help for this. Um, who better than our own auditor um, and the office of the auditor to make sure that we are doing everything possible to protect these documents. They are, we touch people's lives in very important ways. We protect their voice in this democracy. We um, make sure they have access to the documents that they need to be able to sustain themselves and live in this city and their property. And it's also our history as well too. So a lot of people think of our office as some obscure independent little office that they only see around in November, but it's not. And so, you know, I believe, you know, you as, uh, you know, as you do that these two independent agencies are providing these essential services to our residents and to our constituents in this great city. And I'm just really thankful for the partnership and in learning what we have developed we are dedicated, and my office is dedicated, and you know, you'll see them here in the back, um, to the continuous improvement, and we will continue to work diligently both to solicit input and um, to implement the recommendations of this audit. Um, so thank you for taking the time to meet with us and work with us, and I look forward to uh, our continued partnership. Thank you. Yeah. Heather. Oh, actually, Take I'm going to yeah. run us through the background really quick. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so the background objective and highlights from the original audit can be found at the beginning of the follow-up report that you have. Um, so the office and clerk, the office of the clerk and recorder is headed by Denver's elected clerk and recorder who requested this audit after being elected in 2019. The office includes both an elections division and a recording division, which has five depart departments, including the city clerk department. That department is responsible for preserving and distributing records as well as making information available online to the public and to other city agencies. The department also records documents on behalf of the public, including things like real estate documents, marriage and civil union licenses, and those records become part of the public record and are available online. 
The original audit objective was to determine the extent of, to which the Office of the Clerk and Recorder's operations are governed by effective and efficient controls and processes for managing these records. During our audit, we found the office needed to develop a strategic plan to identify and retain records based on the city's retention schedule, organize staff to perform work and develop succession planning, and increase efficiency and effectiveness of its operations. During the original audit, we proposed 17 recommendations to the, clerk and office, the Office of the Clerk and Recorder in May of 2021, and the office chose an original target date for completion of August 5th, 2021. Now of those 17 recommendations, the office fully implemented six, partially implemented four, and did not implement seven of the recommendations. While the original report groups the recommendations by findings, today we will present according to the implementation status as Auditor O'Brien alluded to earlier. I will now pause for questions and comments before turning it over to Heather, who will discuss part of finding one and the associated recommendations. Thank okay. you, Don. You bet. Finding one says the Office of the Clerk and Recorder did not develop a strategic plan impacting its ability to effectively and efficiently manage records. We found that of the 13 recommendations presented in finding one, the office fully implemented five recommendations. As stated on pages one and two of the follow-up report, the office fully implemented recommendations 1.1 through 1.4 by creating a strategic plan that includes an action plan and a timeline to achieve and monitor goals. The office has also taken steps to periodically update the plan. The office also fully implemented recommendation 1.12 as shown on page seven of the follow-up report. The office developed a detailed contract monitoring policy and procedure around developing a contract monitoring plan establishing and maintaining a contract administration file, leading a contract kickoff meeting, and conducting vendor performance and enhanced contract monitoring tasks. The policy also clarifies and formalizes the contract oversight roles by assigning them to the contract administrator, and it provides a list of all associated responsibilities. With full implementation of these recommendations, the office is more effectively addressing issues, prioritizing mission strategies, and monitoring its vendors. I will pause here for questions or comments from the committee or the office. No comments. No, no comments. <laughs> okay. okay. Let's continue. Well then, right. continuing on, we found that of the 13 recommendations presented in finding one, three were partially implemented, meaning the office made progress toward implementation, but some risks still remain. We determined that recommendation 1.6, as shown on pages three and four of the follow-up report, is partially implemented, because although the office created an appraisal process, as stated in the recommendation, the process is not based on criteria for assessing the value of historic records. Beginning on page six of the follow-up report, we describe recommendation 1.11 as partially implemented because at the time of review, the contract administration policy and procedure did not require an annual review of service provider reports. And recommendation 1.13, as shown on page eight of the follow-up report, 
is partially implemented because the policy and procedure document for customer service satisfaction lacks guidance and direction on how to analyze data, <coughs> as well as def definitions of the associated roles and responsibilities. Lastly, we found five of the 13 recommendations presented in finding one were not implemented. As shown on page three of the follow-up report, we determined recommendation 1.5 is not implemented because the office did not establish criteria and guidance to determine the value of historic records. Recommendations 1.7 and 1.8 on pages four and five of the follow-up report are not implemented because at the time of our review, the office did not provide evidence supporting revisions to the retention period or the retention schedule. Beginning on page five of the follow-up report, we determined recommendation 1.9 is not implemented because management did not complete a workforce analysis. And finally, on page six of the follow-up report, recommendation 1.10 was not implemented because the policy and procedure document we reviewed did not include review processes to provide quality assurance for digitizing and retaining older documents, recording and marriage processes, and clerk, city clerk processes. Despite the efforts by the office to address some of these recommendations, risks still remain by not fully implementing all recommendations. First, by not establishing or documenting criteria for determining the historic value of records, the office could lose important records and historic knowledge. Also, lacking an updated retention schedule could cause an unnecessary use of resources or a failure to maintain important records. And by not completing a workforce analysis, the office may lack the required resources needed to achieve goals. Further, lacking established, a review, excuse me, lacking established review processes could inhibit the overall quality, relevance, or effectiveness of the office's work. Also, by not obtaining annual service provider reports, the office could experience inaccurate reporting of finances. And finally, failing to define an analysis process for analyzing customer service satisfaction data creates possible missed opportunities to identify trends. Again, I will pause here to allow questions or comments from the office or the committee before passing it on to Carl to discuss finding two. Uh, Florian? Um, not to, not to um, provide an excuse, <laughs> but I'm curious as to whether maybe um, your your um, a timing objective for implementing the agreed upon uh, recommendations from May of 2021 might have been a little aggressive, um, having been August 5th, given there were 17 recommendations. <laughs> Was that, is that partially why there are uh, so many partial and unimplemented recommendations? I'm just gonna give you the biggest smile I can possibly <laughs> give you. <laughs> Maybe you're just a teensy bit aggressive there. <laughs> you know, I, I think um, my, myself and our and our team, you know, having you know, the, the partnership and working with you all um, makes it makes us excited to be able to get this work done, and to be able to have a clear path forward in which we can come back at a further date to uh, um, give you more rec give, at least give you a little bit more progress. Um, we have one point. I oh know we have over 12 million documents that we are trying to wrangle and processes that we are strengthening. We reorganize the office in a way that 
we believe, and we continue that to reorganize the office in a way that we believe it deserves its, its, its respect and its protocol and its strategic plan. And so that strategic plan from the get-go has been really helpful in, 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 in terms of uh, creating our work plan. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, what we look forward to is, you know, uh, some of these deliverables and some of these updates in terms of our process. We did update, however, um, and upload some of our documents since, um, and we do look forward to your responses, um, actually, to, to address some of these um, that are either partially or, or not implemented yet. So we, um, we look forward to that. So we, a lot of what you'll see um, will be um, us working to correct these issues, and we expect to have um, you know, uh, a uh, some of this done by, a lot of this done by the end of the year um, in a realistic approach. So, yeah. Jack? Uh, Mr. Lopez, I've asked this question of other people in a similar situation. Um, in order for us, the auditor's department, you know, to, to do a re- evaluation yeah um, could you give us what you consider to be a reasonable date for that updated review and if you're talking about the end of the year as opposed to being optimistic which yeah you know we all try to be perhaps optimistic with some you know, some time in between so that when they come in the next time to look at it, it, you know, nobody's getting caught. So could you give us a new date that you think is reasonable for them to follow up on this? It depends on which, if I may, Mr. Otter, it sure. depends on, on, on exactly what recommendations. Some of these, some of these point by point recommendations um, have different dates in terms of completion. Um, if you can give us one date so they can come in and do it, the end th what the end date is. Well, I know that there's some things on here that are very sensitive in nature, um, and I really appreciate your attention to the sensitivity in terms of um, some of the information. So it just depends. Um, you know, we, you know, when we're looking at some of our, some of the work that we have in front of us, we're talking about almost four million documents, right, that we are dealing with. Um, and what we'd like to do is be able to give you the, some of those some of those dates as, as as closer as we get to that. I know that's not the answer that you're looking for, but it just depends on what um, point and what finding um, in terms of um, in terms of the whole plan. Do you think do you think report. you might be able to get that developed in a week so that at least this way, you know. The auditors have a target that's that they can operate on mm -hmm. that makes sense both to both parties, and we can nail it. Well, is that a reasonable request? It just it just depends. Yeah. With all due respect, it just depends on what part of the. There's a lot of different recommendations, and there's a lot of different analyses in some of these processes. Some of them can be completed sooner than later. Some of them, I would say, can probably be. Be completed as we are completed as we've spoken right here today. But um, what we'd like—I mean, I—I 
I, in general, I think for the whole scope of the, uh, of the audit, in terms of the full implementation of this audit, it just, it just varies in terms of time. No, I appreciate that, but yeah. could, within a week, could you get back to the auditor's how about office? A, how about if yeah. the clerk Lopez and I work out Work out a schedule. A work out that time. And, and, and if I could mention, I mean, yeah. he's got millions of documents. You know, the airport yeah. only had 23,000 fixed assets. <laughs> and, and just to put it in some perspective. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, and if, and if I may add, um, I know Carus is in contact with the office even after we can yeah. completed our follow-up work. and is getting updates on what they have since completed since we you know we have a point in time we have to stop our field work and sure. and make our assessments and build the report so um, since then she's been in contact with the office with regard to things they have completed or progress in completion so I think we're staying on top of it through just the relationship we have with the clerk's office in and kind of keeping an eye on where the where their progress is too so. and, and if I may um, sure some of those so that plan we can have within a week so we can talk to we can we can develop that within a week and we'll talk to the auditor um in terms of a redaction project that's why I'm, I'm hitting that mark you know that's what we're talking about four million documents right and doing redaction with that that's where we're talking about you know christmas eve hopefully santa claus will be good to us right here uh, christmas eve this, this coming year oh. so we are looking at that uh, well actually 2024 is when we will probably see the completion of that. Know that that's, if we were to have personnel to do that, we had, did the math when we were, I think we were at one of our audit meetings um, or a meeting with, with the auditors. When we did the math, we're like, oh my God, with the staff that we would have, it would take 25 years to actually do some of this work. That's why we went with an outside vendor um, and we had to really shore up what that looked like. And because of that, you know, we could, potentially and I could confidently tell you that by the end of 2024 we'll have completed something that I don't think this office has ever done so and it's on par for what we got you just hit right on my question uh, my question has to do can you give us an update on the digit digit digitization <laughs> that's currently going on with the outside vendor where we stand with that some of it is um, sensitive information, but we are currently under underway with redaction. We're making some good progress, but like I said, it's it's nearly four million documents that we're looking at, yeah. at dealing with. So that's why I'm given that um, that deadline of, of- I know you just started on that, or yeah. the vendor had just started, so yep. you're very confident that you'll uh, have a good progress by December of this year? Or? We can, if you'd like, we can give you some, some updates with some benchmark numbers, um, you know, um, throughout the year. But, you know, for us, we are underway, we are underway with production right now. So I do believe that we're going to be able to make a lot of progress. Thank you, Mr. Wilkins. I think yeah, no, thank we you. can work out a, yeah. a time schedule for reporting back to the committee on mm -hmm. this. And if you, if you want, I mean, if there's any questions, I mean, if you want to refer to the, there's, there's a lot of different findings here. If you have a question in particular about one of the findings, you know, we can give you an update on, on that, okay, Mr. Payan. I'm just concerned about the, <clears throat> it's like you're saying, a lot of records to be uh, yeah. <clears throat> inputted into the system as well as the redaction that has to take place. It's a lot of effort and there's a lot of scrutiny around that in terms of quality control efforts. Right. So I wish you luck. <laughs> it's gonna be a tremendous effort. All right. Um, Carl, are you going to go through the next section? I am. 
I want to, the committee, you may recognize Carl. He had worked for the auditor for a period of time and went away to Chicago and realized the error of his ways <laughs> and, and came back. And welcome, Carl. We are delighted to have you back on staff. Thank you, auditor. Thank you, committee. Thank you, Virginia Reporter Lopez. Oh, thank you. I'll now present finding mm. two. Auditor. Mm. And finding two starts on page nine of the audit report. It states the office of the clerk and recorder is not taking sufficient measures to protect individuals' personally identifiable information. The finding resulted in four recommendations. Um, I'll go through the fully implemented recommendations and then hit on the partially and not implemented recommendations. Based on the follow-up work that we completed, um, we found the office of the clerk and recorder had implemented one out of four recommendations made in finding two. Details for this implemented recommendation, number 2.4, can be found on page 11 of the report. Originally, the audit found that the office did not have policies and procedures in place to inform people that recorded documents would become part of the public record, which could then be accessed by anybody online. During our follow-up efforts, we found that the office had created a new policy and procedure which ensures people recording documents are informed. In fact, this included posting notices both on the clerk and recorder's website as well as in multiple locations throughout the customer service area in the clerk and recorder's office. As a result of implementing this recommendation, People who record documents in person or through the clerk and recorder's office, or the website, rather, are now informed that their documents will become part of the public record. Uh, I'll now take some time to pause and uh, take any comments or questions. Questions from the committee? Clerk Lopez? No. Nothing from us. Okay. okay. Thank you. Let's continue. I'll now present recommendations that were either partially implemented or not implemented. For finding two, we determined the office partially implemented one out of the four recommendations. Recommendation number 2.1, which can be found on page nine of the report, proposed that the office follow the mayor's executive order 143 related to data and information privacy. We found that the office has taken steps to implement this recommendation. For example, office staff regularly attend information governance meetings. However, additional action is needed to fully implement this recommendation. This includes creating new or updating existing documented policies and procedures, which should align with the executive order and any guidance obtained from the committee related to data and information privacy. Finally, two of our finding two recommendations were not implemented. These recommendations are 2.2 and 2.3, and more details can be found starting on the bottom of page nine of the report. Recommendation 2.2 proposed developing and documenting procedures to ensure certain personally identifiable information would be redacted prior to a document being made publicly available. 
This would help ensure redactions are completed consistently by staff for all document types. The office had not documented policies and procedures in relation to this recommendation during the time we followed up. For recommendation 2.3, which is found on the middle of page 10, we proposed that the office review records already recorded and available online to ensure certain personally identifiable information that should have been redacted was indeed redacted. While the office has contracted with a vendor to complete this review, the project had not been completed during the time we completed our follow-up. Both of these recommendations are still outstanding and the risks associated with them remain. Without documented policies and procedures, redactions could still be completed inconsistently among document types. And furthermore, without this added control, personally identifiable information that should be redacted in these documents may not be. As a result, individuals could be exposed to identity theft if online records contain personally identifiable information. This concludes our pre presentation. Thank you for your time. Okay, questions from the committee? Um, so I, I have one question. I mean, it's great. I think you've hired an outside vendor to help with this. How do you give them direction without having the policies and procedures in place? So with, um, we, we recently, so let me start, Mr. Otter, by saying in 2-1, um, which speaks to those policies and procedures, we've recently submitted some, uh, our policies and procedures that conform to executive, over, executive order 143, and they've been approved by the IGC, and we look forward to your response on that. On 2-2, policies um, and procedures for redaction, which is what we're talking about right here, right. Um, were approved by IGC and have been uploaded to the auditor's office for review. Um, and we do look forward to, um, to your feedback there as well. I want to be very careful in terms of what we talk about now versus in executive session. Uh, because of the nature of some of those uh, uh, of, of what we're talking about there. I mean, we're in process of completing that recommendation. I mean, it's a multi-year project. Um, we agreed uh, upon a project plan with our vendor, which specifies the work that they are to accomplish. So we've had that conversation with them. Um, the volume of the data is what we are consistently evaluating. And that's what I'm talking about is the, that first phase is 1.3 million, that second phase is 1.9 million documents. And think about it like this. Um, these, are his, these are documents that, you know, I'm glad that now we have eyes on what uh, people have used in the past for identity theft and things like that. We didn't have that conceptually as a society um, when I was in college just 20 years ago. Think of all the documents that have been recorded in this city up until that consciousness and awakening of, oh my gosh, this can be used in such a nefarious way. So we have to go back and manually, through that vendor, redact every single one of those documents to the best of our ability. Um, and this sometimes, I'm telling you, some of this is also is written in calligraphy. <laughs> <laughs> so if you all know, know somebody that know can translate, <laughs> I'm not saying anything about this office in the past and the history with calligraphy, but I am saying that um, 
we may need help in deciphering some of it. It's like looking at it's like reading the old it's like reading the Constitution, <laughs> the original one. So, okay. but yeah, no, uh, you know, all kidding aside, I mean, it's you know, we we can talk more about the specifics of this in an executive session, but we do look forward to your feedback on that. And we really appreciate this this finding. Okay, thank you. Um, that really concludes the public presentation. Um, unless there are any questions or comments. Uh, next item is general business. Our next meeting is scheduled for 9 a.m. May 19th, right here in the Par Widener room, and I look forward to that meeting with you. Um, with that, I'd like to ask for a motion to go into executive session uh, to discuss some confidential audit uh, matters. The generally accepted government audit standards really require that we discuss these kinds of matters in executive session. So I move that we go to executive session. Thank Second. you. Thank you. Uh, any discussion? Any objection to the motion? We will be in executive session when that green light goes out. Bryce Vine featuring Modson. Next, as we remember the late Taylor Hawkins, Veronica takes a look back at her 2017 interview. All right, coming up next on Sidewalks, our rock star guests are all fun and play in this next interview. They had me entertained singing in part of our interview. We have the drummers from the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Foo Fighters joining us. You won't want to miss it. Thank you for watching Sidewalks Entertainment on television. Don't forget, after the show, you can visit us on social media. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, SidewalksTV.com. Welcome to Sidewalks Entertainment, the award-winning entertainment project featuring celebrity interviews, music, artistic talents, and more. Hey, this is Edward Burns. Hi, I'm Jennifer Beale. Hey, I'm Donnie Deutsch. Hey, this is Emeril Lagasse, and you are watching Sidewalks Entertainment. Bam! Host Veronica Castro, Lori Rosales, Cindy Rose, Richard R. Lee, and a team of correspondents bring to you the biggest names in Hollywood, as well as music from recording artists from around the world. Previously seen only in Northern California, the show now airs around the country on regional cable networks, college television stations, and local TV stations. 
Join us at Sidewalks Entertainment as we bring to you a new path to arts and entertainment. As a young girl, I just grew to love using power tools, pouring concrete, and doing things that were scary and loud, and yet I looked around and realized no other girls are doing these things. As I grew up, I realized that girls need to see themselves in this space. Start here. So that's what I set out to do, and I became an educator and a mentor for young girls. No masks down till clear. Making teaches girls how to think of their ideas as important. Go white. It changes the way they think about what they're capable of. If I can fuse metal, what can't I do? Perfect. Look at how good that was. <laughs> and so I think making for girls is about voice, and that's what's really exciting because we're building the world we want to see for ourselves. <laughs> now I want to hear why you make. Share your own Why I Make story today. Visit whyimake.org.